It is great to see you all here on early on a Sunday morning. I think it shows a devotion to Oxford that Oxford can only be hugely strengthened by. Um, my name's Nairi Woods, and for the last three years I've been um, developing a strategy for Oxford to have a school of government, and now implementing that strategy. So it's a real pleasure to have the, the opportunity to talk with you about our plans in this area. Um, the first thing that people say to me when I say what we're planning to do with a school of government is, but does Oxford not already have one? Does Oxford not have a school of public policy or a school of, of government? Um, why not? We, we never realised that it didn't have one. And of course, some might answer that question in an ungenerous way and say, well, that's because <coughs> sometimes it takes us 750 years to, to build something. Um, but that's not the view I take. I think it shows something else, which is our impeccable sense of timing. We've waited till the 21st century. We might even have launched the school, perhaps, you might think, earlier this century. But no, think about three sets of events that have really underlined why in the 21st century we need a new kind of smarter, more efficient, more savvy, better trained, better educated set of governments around the world. Okay, so the first is, of course, the global financial crisis in 2008, which really underscored two things. One, there's no, there's no place to hide in the global economy. People thought, leaders of the G20 thought, that the global financial crisis would stop within the countries that were financially interlinked, that had banks connected to one another. And within six months, they were proven drastically wrong. Within six months, trade had collapsed by about 40% across the world. And every single country in the world, even the smallest, poorest developing countries who were not integrated, were affected. So the crisis said, government is necessarily global, even for countries that don't want it to be. And second, that managing crises is also global. So suddenly, it didn't work to have the G7, G8 leaders get together and solve the crisis. A European-American condominium was not going to work. They had to immediately reach out into a very serious and very different tone of discussion with countries like China, Brazil, Russia, the Gulf. Countries that they were now turning to as supplicants and saying, can you help us? So the first thing I would say, the first challenge that the school has to rise to is the challenge of being, giving a global education, being a global school in a very different new way to how that's been interpreted by other schools and other places. The second recent event that we might point to is the Arab Spring, which underlined that it's not enough for governments to, to think about governments purely in terms of efficiency and global management and stability, because populations are seeking and scrutinizing the accountability and the legitimacy of their governments. That a, that a people, even in Tunisia, which seemed to so many a powerful, entrenched state, that once you lose the willingness of your people to accept your rule, 
your political system can change very quickly. And so the challenge there is for us to really think about that, to use philosophy, to use history, and to think about how we educate, not just globally, but in a way that gives our students, our researchers, and produces research for the world that underscores those issues. And the third crisis is the one we're living through now, the Eurozone crisis. Of course, from each of these, we can learn so many things, but let me just pull out one. The Eurozone crisis has really underscored that when politicians, and even central bank governors, stand up and make declarations to the media, using the media as a way to speak to one another, to chide other governments, or to tell them what to do. And when they do that, forgetting that the markets are listening, they risk turning capital markets against them and making the crisis itself cost hundreds of billions more than it might otherwise have done. So never has it seemed more important that governments are savvy about how capital markets view them and what the consequences of their communication is across markets on which they rely. So all of that is really just to foreshadow a sense that Oxford is building a school of government at a time when across the whole world there is a new kind of recognition that government is very difficult but, and that we need better government. And that makes it an incredibly exciting time for us to be building this school. We're also hugely um, benefited by the fact that there are several fantastic schools of government already established, mostly in the United States, and that those schools, A, are very strong, and B, are open and sharing. And those schools have helped us hugely, sharing with us their experience, sharing with us what they would do if they were starting up today, sharing with us what they think are the limits of what they're doing and what they're hoping to change. And of course, we have the great benefit of starting now afresh and being able to try to sort some of those issues out right from the get-go. So <coughs> that's the backdrop against which we're creating the school. So now let me just give you a little flavor of how we've woven these elements into our way of thinking. But can I say right away that let's make this a conversation. There are microphones running around, but please just interject, comment, question. We've got a good amount of time, and I think this session will be more fun if it's more of a conversation than a simple um, lecture by me. So let me just move then briefly to what, how are we dealing with the challenges that I just raised? What is this school going to look like? So the first thing we've done is created a Master of Public Policy. And the Master of Public Policy applications opened on Monday last week. And what we've done with that Master of Policy is start right from scratch. We've looked closely at the master, what we think are the top dozen or so masters of public policy that other schools are offering, and we've thought about how and why we would want to do something different, as well as what, what are the strengths of their programs that we can draw on. We've ended up with something that is totally different. So the first is, of course, we're looking for a global cohort and a global education. And that doesn't mean teaching people just about, as it were, global governance. It means taking the task of thinking about how government works 
in China, in Brazil, in Kenya, in Germany, very seriously, so that in, so that in cohorts of students from all those countries, we're offering an education which is as relevant to them as it would be, for example, to a student of Britain or Canada. And that's a big challenge. And it's not a challenge that there is any curriculum in the world that really responds to. But, but that's the challenge, that's the first challenge that we're trying to do. And we can talk about how we do that in a moment. The second is, at the beginning of this project, one of the things that I undertook with Roger Goodman, the head of the Social Sciences Division, was to go across the university and to do consultations in every department, in physics, chemistry, engineering, archaeology, medical science, economics, right across the four divisions of the university. And that was a process that transformed the project because it made us realize how much of this university does public policy and how many departments wanted to engage with the school in a two-way relationship. For example, the scientists break their heads on the fact that governments that they advise don't understand their advice. They are scientifically incompetent, to quote one of my science colleagues. At the same time, they live in an era where every grant proposal they put in for a fantastic new science research project, they're required to show the public policy impact of. So here we have a wonderful synergy where what we can do is bring a better sort of briefing and education on the public policy impact. But what they're doing for us is fantastic. We have a group of Oxford's top scientists drawn from all the different science faculties who have put together one quarter of our compulsory curriculum. And it's our students in that term every week take a piece of scientific advice that's actually been offered to, to a government. It might be a, a, um, advice to India on whether it should build a nuclear power plant, for example. They're given that advice by scientists who have been engaged in that process, and then they're taken backwards. This is why we give this advice. Here is how, as scientists, we do the research that takes us to giving this advice. And very often, of course, the answer is, we can't tell the government, definitely do this or definitely do that. We can only give the government probabilistic findings. And the government officials that we're educating have to understand how to interpret that. And so we've, we've created this curriculum believing that the best people to make that clear are the top scientists themselves. So as I said, one quarter of our course then is science. Let me just give you a little snapshot of another part of the course which is taught by philosophers and historians. It's the first course they do, it's called Foundations. And there, we've not simply, we're not, we're not trying to teach them philosophy from Aristotle through to the present day at all. Because that we're taking students who have intimated that they want to move into public policy practice, whether in the private sector or in the public sector, or by creating an NGO or a social entrepreneurship scheme. We're not, we're not taking students that want research careers. Our response to the many students who have contacted us saying, I'd like to come and do a doctorate, is to say, first go talk to a disciplinary department. 
So because it's in a disciplinary department that you'll do one. What we are offering in the school in this first phase is a Master of Public Policy, which is an education aimed at practice. Just as Oxford's law degrees are aimed at practice, just as our PGCE graduate training is aimed at practice, just as some of the courses in this business school are aimed at practice, so too the Master of Public Policy is. So what, is, what do you do with a potential practitioner with philosophy and history, and why would you bother taking them there? So they're the course we've developed, again, with a group of half a dozen of Oxford's top political theorists and philosophers, and legal philosophers, is to really think over the last two years about what are eight of the really difficult dilemmas that public policy officials face. And how is it that philosophy can help teach students a rigorous way of thinking through that dilemma? For example, when is it that you should abrogate the rule of law for political expediency? When is it that you should intervene in another country? Now you might think that these are questions that only prime ministers think about, so what are we doing training 25-year-olds to think about them? But they're not, of course. It's for anyone related to government who is writing a briefing on these issues that needs a memorable framework in their head, a set of reference points to think the issue through and to apply, as it were, a moral compass to each of the issues that they're being asked to write about. And it, alongside the philosophy classes, we have historians giving a lecture each week, a historian from a different region of the world, taking one or two of those dilemmas and putting them into a particular historical context, whether it's ancient Greece, whether it's 18th century Europe, whether it's 19th century China, or whether it's 20th century Middle East. So, in that course, as I said, where students are in effect building a kind of moral compass and also learning to think about that in a very global way by looking across the world. So the other, the other core courses they do are in economics and then in international relations, politics and law. So they do these four core courses. That's just to give you a little snapshot. We can, I can take more questions about the curriculum if you have them as we go. Um, the, the other elements, um, so we've said it's global. I've just talked about the extent to which it's multidisciplinary. And I just wanted to add a, a, a footnote to that. What, we've, what struck me looking across um, public policy centers, institutes, and schools in the world is that multidisciplinarity is something that everybody is striving for. And it very often, it means hiring a scientist and hiring a lawyer and hiring an economist and putting them in the same building. But that often doesn't result in them actually talking to one another in a meaningful way about the issue that they're working on. Sometimes you get those conversations. But actually, pushed into a classroom to teach together, they're forced to engage in an altogether more applied way. And that another um, element that the School of Government brings, that we're leveraging, is bringing Oxford's academics from different disciplines together in the classroom to be addressing a particular issue, where students can really question and force those academics to, to cut across their disciplines. And it seems to me that the experience of that is that it often leads to subsequent interdisciplinary research. It's a way to make that interdisciplinary research work.
<clears throat> a third element of the way we're thinking about government is practical. What are the practical skills? Given that we're giving students a set of analytical skills which Oxford has excelled in the past at giving and that we're simply, in a way, refining and thinking about how to deliver them for the 21st century. What are the practical skills and how do we do that? And there we've structured the Master of Public Policy so that in the Oxford breaks, I can't call them vacations because for our students they're not going to be vacations, but in the Oxford breaks they'll be doing intensive practical courses taught by practitioners. So when they do strategy and communication in the public sector or delivery and performance management in the public sector, they'll be taught by practitioners over the course of a four or five day intensive week. They'll do budgeting and financial management or how to be a finance minister is what I call that, that course. Um, and they'll do negotiation. In fact, that's a course that we're, we're working with the business school um, to deliver. And then at the end of their, as it were, Oxford-based training, they'll go out and do a six-week field study, either based as interns in government agencies or in private companies or in research institutes across the world, so that the, the very last piece of work they deliver is a policy paper from that. Um, that just gives you a very sketched sense of uh, um, the Master of Public Policy, because that's the first step we're taking. Over the last year, we've worked hard on a recruitment strategy that's global, because we want our cohorts to be global. That doesn't mean that we're going to be choosing a cohort based on nationality. It means we'll be looking for truly outstanding, we'll be looking for the very best students, and we hope that if our recruitment strategy proves strong and effective, they will be from all over the world. On Monday morning, I have to say, I arrived at my office and said, can I see the first three applications that have come in? Because they came in the minute we kind of opened the process. And the first three applications made me smile. It was a female student from Qatar, and a male student from China, and a third student from South Africa. And I thought, great, that's a very global start. If those are our first three, long may that continue. Um, it'll be a special class. Why does it need to be a global cohort? And let me just perhaps finish with that and take some questions. Um, <clears throat> it's very striking that in political life, as people move through political systems in government, their job becomes lonelier and lonelier. So that at the top of government, one of the complaints that heads of government and ministers make is that it's actually quite lonely. Now, what do they mean by that? They mean that there are very few, <coughs> as it were, conversation partners of a certain kind. And those conversations are important. They're important because they can be practice sharing and experience sharing, so they can be learning conversations, but they're also important because they can be holding to account conversations. They can be, why on earth are you doing that? You know, surely that goes against everything that you believe in, conversations. And in the Blavatnik School, we are going to have the luxury of quite small cohorts. We're starting with a pilot cohort of 30, and we're gradually building up to 120. And one of our goals is to make sure that we are creating a strong peer network that is a learning network that's lifelong, but also that's a, an accountability network that's lifelong. So one of the ways we're doing that 
is building in an expectation that every one of our students finishes their one-year Master of Public, Public Policy, but comes back every five years to take part in the first three days of the course. And the first three days of the course each year are a, public, are a policy intensive, where what we're doing is we're taking our new students and simply immersing them in a global public policy issue. So for example, this coming year, it will probably be natural resource management. So what are the challenges? You've, you're, you're, for example, you're Guinea or you're Britain and you've just discovered new oil resources. So what, what are the implications for countries that don't have oil, that do have oil? How do we look at these problems? They're looming up as enormous problems. Just think, for example, about West Africa, a country that, that is often, a group of countries often missed, and the new oil discoveries off that coast, which will affect all of us, and the governance of that oil will affect all of us. So every year, that public policy intensive will be a different issue, and it's our way of making sure that our students firstly get to know other generations of students and second that this networking effect is a powerful one, this peer effect is a powerful one. That our new younger students get to know older mentors from previous years and then finally for the school bringing our students back is vital, it's our feedback loop. What we would hope to hear from our students five or ten years out is you know that course on philosophy actually proved really, really useful, but actually that course on negotiation, you know, or, or vice versa, you know, to constantly be helping us to adapt our course and to make it better and better each year that we're delivering it. So that's the, the as it were, the, the peer network aspect of the school. As you can see, I could probably stand here and talk for hours. Um, you could probably, <laughs> you know, um, suffer greatly as a result. Can I stop and take some questions from you and not just questions but your comments, your suggestions, um, your feedback about our plans?